Welcome to the Success IQ Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 121. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having an amazing week. Today's guest is Tony Bradshaw. Now, Tony grew up in a low-income family, made his millionaire choice at the age of 25, and now, almost two decades later, he's teaching people how to make their own millionaire choice. Tony's book, The Millionaire's Choice, was inspired by his own vision of empowering anyone to become a millionaire. No matter their income, ethnicity, or financial situation, his mission is to create a movement of financially educated and wealthy people who will make it in their mission to fight poverty and help those in need around the world. Welcome to the show, Tony. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Tony, I'm really looking forward to dive into our topic for today. But before we get started, could you give the audience a little bit of a backstory of what's brought you to this point today? Yeah, for sure. I can do that. Um, As you can probably guess, your listeners can probably guess, I'm from the United States, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, so Country Music Hall of Fame area. Although I didn't grow up as a country music fan, I did become one once I got in my 20s. And and so uh, when I learned to do a little bit of line dancing, so we won't talk about that right now. (laughs) So uh, yeah, so I grew up in a a low-income area of Nashville. It's called East Nashville. Actually, today it's a very posh area, and a lot of people are moving in from California, New York, and everywhere, and buying up property over there. But when I grew up, it wasn't that good of an area, and it was kind of one of the... uh, really less desirable areas to, to live in. Um, we actually had some drug dealers that lived across the street and up the street from us and a neighborhood, you know, broken families, a lot of broken families and stuff in our neighborhood. Uh, I was fortunate that, you know, my parents were very committed to each other, uh, even though they had their you know problems and issues, but growing up in a low income family with a family that didn't know how to manage money, I kind of, you know, followed in their footsteps as you would expect. And so my parents really tried to overcompensate for us. They didn't have a lot of money, but they gave us everything they could and tried to make our lives better than their lives were as children. But they never really taught us how to manage money. And it wasn't until I got into my 20s that I actually started to have what I call a financial awakening or a wake-up call. And so I went off to college, got my degree as an engineer, mechanical engineer, and then got out of, got out of college, found my first job. And then got my first W-2, which in the States is, you know, the, the record of, how much money you made and how much taxes you're going to pay to the government. And I remember seeing that thing for the first time and looking at it and, and my jaw dropped. I had made $39,000. And I think prior to that, probably the most money I'd ever seen is maybe about three or $4,000 in a year. And I, I just could not believe that I had made $39,000. And I looked around my studio bedroom apartment at my parents' house and I had a bed that I'd made. I went and bought posts from Home Depot and built my own bed, you know, and my dad had made me a desk and I bought a computer on credit. I bought a stereo with cash, a TV with cash, had some nice electronics. I figured that one day I was going to get married. My wife would probably bring the furniture and I'd bring all the electronics. So that's what I invested in. <laughs> I'm not after and, my own. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, I was, if I didn't have anything, I was planning ahead, you know, and uh, out in the driveway was a car, four door, you know, I'd given up my two door sports car that I had as a teenager and said, you know, so then we'll get married and have kids. I better go ahead and plan ahead for that and buy a four door, but I had financed it, you know, and it was a $14,000 car, a Saturn SL2. They don't make Saturns anymore, but it was a good car for the time. And, um, you know, I had that W2 in one hand and I had all that debt in my other hand. 
And I just looked at that and went, wow, that, that can never happen again. That's a $55,000 move in the wrong direction. Like that just did not sit well with me. And it was at that time that I realized I needed to learn about money because obviously I didn't know anything about it. And so I went to the bookstore out in um, a suburb close to where I live um, and just learned everything I could. I bought magazines, bought books, just started reading. That's really what I knew how to do. If I did anything right growing up, it was just learn. You know, I just, when I found something that interested me, I just started learning about it. And about 90 days after doing this reading, this immersion into, you know, the financial world, I came up with what knowledge I had. And I said, you know what? Money really is just a math problem. And I know how to do math pretty well. I went to school for engineering. I can do some math. And uh, I believe that I can become a millionaire by the time I'm 40 years old. So I went from being, you know, $16,000 in debt, wasting $39,000 to going, you know what, in 15 years time, I think I can be a millionaire. And so that's kind of where my journey started. And I, you know, I was able to hit my goal. It didn't quite happen like I planned, you know, I had to adjust the plan. Uh, I didn't, I didn't figure in a wife and $20,000 of her debt into my equation. And, and, you know, and six kids, you know, you, every time you pop a kid out, you're, you're bringing in some new responsibilities. And so those things were not figured into my formula, but we were able to adapt along the way and, you know, make it work and hit our goal. Yes. It's quite, it's quite a story that, isn't it? So for you, obviously, um, one of the things you've done is, is in, in your careers, you've brought out a book, the millionaire choice. What is the millionaire choice about? Yeah, it's really about that story about making the choice because I believe anybody can become a millionaire if they make the right choices. You know, the life, the right life, I say life and financial choices because those two are very intertwined. And so you can't, just making the financial choices is not enough. You have to make the right financial, I mean, I'm sorry, life choices as well. You have to make the right life choices and those go hand in hand. And so it's not really a book just about money. It's a book about life and, um, and some different principles. So, and that was very important to me to bring something new to the marketplace in the financial world, not just another financial book like all the others. Yeah. And how long did that book take you to write? Well, interestingly enough, uh, when I started it, I felt very compelled to get it done quickly. So I actually did the first draft in about 30 days. Okay. And so I locked down, I was able to have some time available and was able to write 60,000 words in the first 30 days. Mm. And then if you're an author or anybody that's an author out there, you understand that that's the easy part. It's all the editing. And so yeah. I had 30 days of writing and, you know, 12 months of the editing. So, and I thought the editing would never end. Yeah. Oh, it, was just, it was just terrible. <laughs> and did you, did you, um, when you, when you went through that process, did you believe there was always a book in you or was it just a natural process of you creating the, the brand that you are developing now? No, um, honestly, I knew I would write a book someday. I believed I would. I just didn't expect it would be right now. And so I actually worked for a very well-known personal finance guy in the industry for 15 years. I started with the company when it was 30 employees. And when I left as an executive on the board of directors, uh, it was about 560 employees, about you know $125 million a year. And, um, you know, a lot of growth, a lot of growth. And uh, then I had, I had left that company in May of 2016. And then almost to the date, uh, May of 2017 is when I uh, started on my book. And so right. it was about okay. a year, it was about a year later that I started it. And, and it kind of caught me by surprise, honestly. Uh, I had joined another company that wanted to do personal finance as well. And they were more in the startup phase. And I went out to help them, but they were extremely mismanaged. 
And, uh, but while I was out there trying to help them figure things out is kind of when I decided, you know what, I think I have my own story to tell and I think I have something to contribute uh, to people in need. And I, and it, it really came out of just flying across the country and talking to people at restaurants and um, you know, these bars, these airport bars and, and hearing their stories and the stewardesses on the airplanes and the passengers that rode with me and just listening to them and realizing that um, they, they, everybody needs help with their money. There's nobody there to guide them and to provide them with the direction that they need. No. So, uh, you know, and, and the fact that you've gone from sort of making your own bed of some posts and, and all of that sort of stuff and going through and now you, the success that you're doing now is, is when you are, what do you think it is the, with people and relationship with money? I mean, you talked about, you know, you basically carried on the lessons or the things that you saw from your parents or however they were spending money. What do you think there's a, there's that big issue with people that have that issue with on their relationship with money. Well, I think the biggest thing comes down to uh, learning and, you know, what do you really know? And so I, I, my biggest gripe probably is with the educational system because, you know, we study math, English, and science and more subjects for 12 years of our lives from age five to age 18. And we really should be studying money. I mean, money has more effect on us as, as much, if not more than reading or English. And so why aren't we uh, being taught those things in schools, even from a very young age? And so one of the goals that I hope to, to solve and, you know, bring into the value of this, this environment or this world is to, is to do that, is to create a model and reach people at a very young age that I, they can grow up believing that they can become millionaires. They don't have to grow up. Uh, believing that they're going to live a life of poverty because of the family they grew up in, but that they can grow up believing that they can create a life of wealth and prosperity and then hand that down to their children. I love that. I love that. So one of the things you talk about is a millionaire plan. And how do people start with putting, even start looking at that? If they're, No matter what level they are, I guess, it's what's, what, where is the starting blocks to start looking at that? Yeah. So I think one of the hardest things people have to get back past is where they're at today. So I think so many times we're stuck in our own circumstances and many of us lack the ability to create a vision for our own lives. So we get into this cycle of, you know, get up, go to work, get home, watch TV. The average American watches 120 hours of television a month, which is basically a full-time job. So you go to work and work a full-time job and then you can come home and watch TV for a full-time job. And you're really not going to get your life ahead. That is a bad cycle of, for your life. And so you can't create a vision for your life when you're living your life that way. And so I would say the first thing people have to do is, you know, take a look at their financial reality, which is what I did. You know, that shock factor. I got that W-2. I looked around the house. I realized how much debt I had. And that was my financial reality. That was my financial awakening. And then I was able to create what I would call the financial vision. And so, but I had to learn a little bit before I could create that vision. I just knew that I wanted something different. And so, and, and different people have that experience at different times in their lives. So that would be what I would call kind of like the first stage of kind of like this awakening. Like w when does that happen for someone so that they can break out of that cycle? You know, I could have continued on for 20 years or 30 years in my family cycle, my parents cycle. Um, but I didn't thank God. And then once you get past that and you get the education, then you're going to start applying that knowledge uh, to, you know, your financial world. And I really break the, the millionaire plan down into a couple pieces. Uh, you need to learn about 
money. And once you learn about money, you can start applying it. So one of those first steps would be to get your, you know, get on a, a budget. I hate the word budget. I like the word spending plan. I find the word budget makes people hair stands up on the back of their neck. Uh, my wife and I were just talking about it the other day. I said, Hey honey, we need to look at our budget again. And I said, Hey, let's, let's look at our spending plan. Let's don't look at our budget. She says, Oh, that makes me feel so much better. <laughs> it's just, it's semantics of words, but there's just something about that word that knots people up. And so, yeah, so I believe you got to look at your financial foundation, which is I'm talking about your spending plan and your debt. I believe debt's the enemy of your future. So the way I phrase it is destroy your debt before your debt destroys you. A lot of people try to leverage debt and you know, that's okay for some people that works, but for many people it just doesn't work and and it destroys them and even if they feel like they're getting ahead and then one day something happens they lose their job they can't pay a bill um, everything that they built up the bank's going to take it you know if you can't pay the bill the bank's going to take it. i don't care how much equity you have in your house if you can't pay the bill the bank's going to take it and you're going to lose all the effort so you really have to look at that debt and go what am i going to do with my debt and realize how much risk you're carrying and then you got to get focused on multiplying your money I like to say save and invest aggressively. So if you want to get into the financial world and build wealth, you've got to learn how to multiply your money, not just spend it, not just be a consumer. And there's, you know, dozens and dozens of ways to do that. Uh, one of the most common here in the States is, you know, investing in the stock market. That's kind of like the lowest hanging fruit. It's the easiest way to get started, but it's not the only way. And so I really encourage people to, once they start learning about money is realize it's a lifelong journey that you start with where you are, but then you continue learning so that you can apply more and more of it to your life. And, uh, and it just gets easier and easier the more you learn. Um, a lot of times we get income lock. And so I remember back when I was making, you know, $5 an hour, actually $3 an hour, I think it's $3.35. And I'm like, man, if I could just get to $4 an hour, my life would change. And the reality is I got to $4 an hour, my life didn't change. And then I got to $5 an hour, my life didn't change. I got to $6 an hour, my life didn't change. I got to 10, I got to $15 an hour, my life didn't change. And so we get, we kind of start looking at that, you know, little increments of income. When my life really changed is when I was able to really uh, increase my value in the marketplace. And so I invested in myself and I'm like, you know what, I need to, I need to learn a new talent and a new skill. How can I improve myself? And instead of just relying on my engineering talents that I, grew as in school and my job, I started learning how to program a computer program. Well, that took me into a different industry, it really opened up a lot of doors for me. But instead of sitting around watching TV, I decided to learn how to program. And that was an investment in myself and it allowed me to boost my income. And then I really want people as part of their millionaire plan, just like I did, I sat down at 25 and said, you know what, by 40 years old, when I'm 40 years old, I'm going to be a millionaire. I want you to set a date. Like you need to know what that date is. And so it's just like if you're playing a game of football, you know what time the game's over. You know, do, you, got, you got all this time to score. Let's get all the scores done we can. Let's win the game. And, you know, putting together your millionaire plan is very much the same way. Whether it's going to take, you know, five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, whatever that time frame is. Um, and on the journey, the, the time frame will change. But set a specific date that you can point to and know if you're on track or not. You can gauge your success towards that. Wow. That's, and it's interesting as well as that awareness is power, isn't it? It's just once you start to understand what you're spending, what's coming in, what's going out. And a lot of people can like ignore that. And and so many different things, whether it's even we could look at that from a weight point of view, we could look at it from so things. It's not until you sit down and go, okay, what is the reality here? Then 
be proactive, then make that conscious decision to move forward and do something about it. Yeah. And believe it, you know, believe it too. For me, I believed I could do it. And, and my plan wasn't very sophisticated. It was pretty simple. I mean, I took the knowledge I had at the time and, and of course my knowledge improved over the next 15 years when I started, but I took what I had at the moment and got going and got started and, you know, it got me moving in the right direction. Hey guys, so just before we jump over to the second part of the show, I wanted to let you know that the closed group Success IQ Alliance is now open to anyone who wants to be part of the community. I'm really excited to do this because I really want to meet more people to get a community growing of like-minded people looking at creating the exceptional life. So all you need to do is search on Facebook for Success IQ Alliance and I look forward to seeing you there. Take care. Okay, so what we are going to do now is we're going to jump over to the second part of the show where I get an opportunity to put you on the hot seat, so to speak. So, not, I'm looking not, forward to it. Not that when you compare <laughs> Newcastle upon Tyne to Tennessee, there's going to be much of a hot seat. You're probably quite hot already over there. But, um, but let's get started. So the first one is, on average, how much time a week do you dedicate to self-development? And that's body, mind, and spirit. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go in and out. Like, I don't have a, a set lock schedule in my, you know, at times in my season of my life, it's going to be different. Like, uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, like zero, actually. My wife and I, we just totally quit it, you know, 100%. Um, but I do a lot of reading, and a lot of my time goes into just, right now, it's just more of, and I, I consider this a self-development, but I've gotten into politics quite a bit, like world politics, global politics and just understanding what's really going on and playing the world. So I apply that to self-growth and that's probably where I'm putting most of my time right now uh, versus, you know, you know, developing my business that I've got going on. I'm putting a lot of effort into that. Um, but networking and meeting people. So I've really done a lot of networking here in the last a little bit. So I would say on average, um, probably like two hours a day uh, would be a good number for today where I'm at. Uh, in the past, when I was in the technology world and do an online business it was probably a lot more you know maybe like three to four hours a day if I wasn't working I was developing myself uh, in my skill set and did your um dear lady have any challenges in removing tv from her life not really um okay. one because we have six kids <laughs> Well, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, dear lady is running errands a lot with uh, soccer, soccer children. So, um, yeah, if she gets a moment to breathe, uh, she has a moment. That's it. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you, um, are you able to, do the kids sort of follow that trend or do the kids still sort of enjoy the dabble? In Netflix. Um, we've really, you know, interestingly enough, in the last three years, I've, I've tried to step in a little bit more as a father, I think, because I worked, I didn't work uh, excessive amounts, but I think when you work and then you come home and you want your downtime, I probably was a little bit more disengaged than I should have been. In the last three years, I've really tried to step in and uh, exert more authority and guidance over my children. So, and that's been, you know, it's been, uh, it's just one of those things you have to learn, right? And each kid, you learn a little bit differently. So we're, we're I would say we're a work in progress. And here's what I try to do, and I've, what I, I've tried to build into my children, is I really try to encourage them and talk to them about their gifts and talents. I believe we all have uh, extraordinary gifts and talents we've been given. And the way I talk to them is um, you need to have a balance between the frivolous things that you do and the development of your own gifts and talents and how much time are you putting into developing those things you've been designed to do as a person and having that kind of conversation with my children is really 
really helped him go a long way. And I've seen them uh, do a lot less of the frivolous things. You know, YouTube in our culture is, is just a real bad thing. And, uh, yeah, and we don't, we don't, they don't have access to a lot of devices. Like I don't believe in giving my kids cell phones and things like that. So I've got in here, we have kids that are, you know, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old and their parents are buying them cell phones and mine don't really get theirs until they're 16. So, yeah. Cause they do is the weird thing was, is when I was a kid, we wanted big TVs. Now all of a sudden it's everything's getting smaller so they can sit there for hours and just watch these tiny little things. It's yeah. bizarre. It's just a weird, weird thing. Yeah. If my biggest problem is the iPad and I'll put my girls to bed and then I'll put them to bed at eight o'clock or nine o'clock, depending on which age they are. They got, I've got three girls and their, their bedtimes are eight, nine. And you know, the other one should be 10, but we let her stay up a little bit too later. She's 14. And I go into their rooms and they're on their iPads, either sneaking YouTube uh, watches. My girls like, we have uh, guinea pigs. And so they're watching guinea pig videos um, online. Just the cutest things ever. But I'm like, your bedtime was like an hour and a half ago. Why are you still watching guinea pig videos? And so those are the kind of things I have to do. Because they're cute, Dad. They're cute. <laughs> <laughs> Lay down here and watch them with this daddy. <laughs> you, 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 you manipulator. <laughs> okay, question number two is what book has made the biggest impact to your self-development or personal growth and why? Yeah, I'm going to actually name two books here. Um, I could name a dozens, you know, but probably the two that always just seem to come up for me were um, Jim Collins, Good to Great. It was just a really fantastic book. I'm gonna, I'll call out a couple things that were in that book that I've seen make an impact on the company I work for and in my own life. One of the things Jim talks about in that book is uh, level five leadership. So, you know, he says there's level one leaders, level two leaders, level three, level four, and level five. And uh, one of the examples, I think, good examples was uh, Lee Iacocca from Chrysler. Lee Iacocca was a great leader. He brought Chrysler back from basically total and utter destruction and failure. And, and repaired that company and brought it back to number one or, you know, at least in a, a good standing. It was a good place. It was in a really good place. And then he left and it fell apart. And so that's a sign of a level four leader. It's somebody that had to be present to actually, for leadership to actually take place. And, and that really just stuck with me because I, in my own work life, I had seen that kind of thing happen, even with people that we really respected as top leaders. And if they weren't present, things didn't work the way that they should. Um, and so that made me aspire to really go, what can I do to be a level five leader? And I don't think I've arrived by any stretch of the imagination, but it just constantly brings that question back to the forefront uh, when I'm working with employees or other people and go, what can I do to be that kind of a leader in the environment that I'm in? So that's a big one. Um, he also talks about the business flywheel and, um, and I can't quote everything out of the book around the business flywheel, but I saw that as we started moving from a very tactical based organization where we ran a company based on decisions and very good decisions to a very strategic and visionary organization. Um, it required a different skill set to be built up within the company. And we, when we applied Jim Collins flywheel concept to the actual business, uh, we really got a lot of clarity at the executive level and throughout the entire company. It just allowed us to really focus on the things that mattered most and to really uh, the other things that were distractions to kind of slip into the background. And I think it made us a stronger and better company for that. The other book that I'd like to mention is one by Gary, uh, Gary Keller, founder of Keller Williams uh, that I read probably just a year ago or two years ago. It's called the, um, the one. And it really is just a fantastic book 
about focusing on one thing at a time to make that one thing better. You know, what is, if you got something that's important to do, what is the one thing you can do to find success in that thing? Not the 10 things because that you can't do 10 things. You can do one thing. And if you can do that one thing really well, you're going to make progress. And I think that's very helpful for anyone looking to build a successful life, a successful business, whatever they're trying to do, make their marriage better. What is that one thing you can do right now to move that forward in your life? So if you want to be a better parent, what's the one thing you can do? So I love that book. Yeah, love it. Okay, uh, question number three, what app makes the biggest impact to your business or life? You said what app? Yeah, or platform or software. Oh, <laughs> I've got YouTube so many YouTube for the guinea pigs. Yeah. yeah, for the guinea pigs. YouTube, YouTube, yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, I guess... This is going to sound like a cop out. Uh, I'm going to say my Apple computer. <laughs> when I switched from Microsoft to Apple and quit having crashes. Oh my gosh. Life got so much better. And we still have some PCs in the house, but I sit down to use them and I'm like, oh, it cut off again. What's, what's the deal? I mean, my Apple computer just works. It's the reliable, it's dependable. And yeah, and it kind of keeps me going. And I think because of the nature of the business I'm in, if you're talking about apps, um, our whole lives around are built around communication. If you want to be a successful leader, you got to learn how to communicate well. If you want to be a successful business guy, you got to learn how to communicate well. If you want to be a successful dad, parent, whatever, you got to communicate well. And so I really love Keynote. So a lot of times we communicate verbally, but not everybody does verbal communication well. And when I started transferring, going from verbal only communication to visual aids uh, for communication of business and thoughts and concepts, uh, my world got a lot better. And so Keynote is just a great tool for that. It's just very, very well designed. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Uh, question number four, what's your biggest business mistake, which turned into a valuable lesson and what did it teach you? Um, yeah, I would say I'm going to go back to communications here. Um, I am a, in, in my executive role, my last uh, former job, one of my former jobs, um, I would work in a group of people and for whatever reason, I could not connect with them in a way that we communicated with each other well. And so even though I was an executive member on an executive team, with my peers, um, they could communicate with each other and I was not able to. Now, I, I mistakenly felt like I, there was something wrong with me and that I was the one at fault here. And after leaving that team and, you know, being outside into other environments, I've realized since then that the problem really wasn't me. And so, but just realizing that you need to adapt yourself in such a way to communicate with people. And what I learned from that is that, and it was this basically, um, I can be a very left brain guy, very factual driven, very unemotional about my communications. I can also be very emotional, but I tend to gravitate towards a very direct form factual based communication. The people I worked with were very emotional based communicators. And so they were, they would first have to make an emotional connection with whatever was being said. So their emotions had to engage and connect. And so they wouldn't do factual information first. That was not, that was not their language. That was not their language. So I was basically trying to interject a different foreign style of communication into a group that just would not receive it. And it wasn't until I was outside of that team and started to understand that more, but that was probably my biggest mistake. It was, 
you know, I was with that company for 15 years and for 15 years it was a struggle and it wasn't until I was outside of the environment that I started to understand that better. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay. Say so one of those things, sometimes it's like, is it, was it round hole, the square peg or square hole with a round a square? Yeah, yeah. either one. I, I did not fit. I did not fit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting, isn't it? How you get some people who just, you, you obviously we all go our natural way of communicating. It's just what, what we are naturally comfortable with. But it's those good leaders are able just to, and once we understand the dynamics of that, you can very quick. It's one. It was one of the most valuable skills I learned with coaching. It was learning that everyone speaks on a different level, but if you can just tap into that, the the re, it resonates a lot quicker with them. Yeah, and it's a lot easier for you to change than for you to get them to change. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Question number five is: What are your challenges in harmonizing work and life, and how do you manage them? Yeah, right now I'm in the startup environment. So it's an interesting challenge for me because every, every company I've been engaged with so far has always been uh, somewhat established. Um, and, and, and so the, the systems were already in place, the revenue models were in place. And so I'm at a place now where I've got to create that for the first time in my own life. And, you know, as I'm getting my book off the ground and starting to meet the market need, and I've been, I've been really blessed because I'm getting, you know, great feedback. People have bought my book and now they're starting to, buy it for their friends and family members. And you know, you're onto something when people are rebuying your book to give away, that's an exciting place to be. But the balance is really uh, probably the biggest balance is around family because you know how hard you have to work to get stuff off the ground and um, you have to dedicate the time, but you also have to make sure you're focused on the right things. And so, and I'm not a sales guy by nature. I'm more of a builder. I like to build things and I like to talk to people. And so the socializing and the promotions part of it's not too bad for me. I'm pretty good at that. But the actual sales piece of it is something that I have to constantly go back and go, yeah, I got to sell something today. I got to sell something. I got to sell something. I got to figure out how to sell something. And just that constant programming. And then the balance with the children and the family, you know, wife needs attention. Kids need attention. You can't neglect any of them or you get in trouble. And so uh, just that constant juggling. And, and let me just say this. Girls are, uh, need much more attention than boys. Um, it's not, it's not, it's not sexist. I'm just saying, it's just the way I grew up with three sisters. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) And it's usually daddy, the one that has to give the time. Yeah. How do you, cause I mean, I've got two boys and I know the challenges I have not so much now because my, my lads are uh, 19 and 17, but when they were younger, it was hard with that, but you've got six. Um, how, how does how do you how do you manage to balance balance that attention in okay i need to make sure that everyone's getting as best as you can the equal share of dad how does that work well i've got the perfect system <laughs> i'm just joking <laughs> it's every day's a struggle uh, you know i look at my oldest son and he's amazing he, got, he went off to college to study architecture this year um, but I look back when he was a kid, he's the one you experiment on. He's the one you make all the real bad mistakes on. And I look back and I'm like, man, I was such a bad father at that time because I would go to work and come home and be very selfish with my time. And I don't feel like I gave him as much of my time as I should have. We have some good memories together, um, but not nearly as many as I should have had. Um, and so the the problem with boys is if you're not careful, your boys will get isolated. 
and they'll run off and do their own thing. And the next thing you know, they're grown up and you didn't do as much with them as you should have. And I was guilty of that. My dad didn't have a good father figure in his life. So I copied him and, and I, I'm, I've got a seven year old boy right now. And I'm like, he's getting lost in the shuffle. I've got to do something different. So uh, I'm pretty fortunate right now. My wife actually has soccer with our, with two of our girls on Wednesday nights and my oldest daughter goes to church on Wednesday nights. And then, so that leaves me with my two sons that are at home and we've just started doing stuff together, like go and eat sushi or, um, you know, went to the park this last week. And so just those Wednesday nights are start, we've only done this a little bit, but I'm like, you know, those are going to be sacred nights for us. I'm going to get off the computer. I'm going to get off the work I'm doing. I'm like, we're going to go have a bonding time, just me and, and my two sons that are at home. And, uh, for my girls, uh, the girls pretty much tell you what you're supposed to do. <laughs> And then you have to choose whether or not you want to do it. And so that, that's a little bit easier, but my girls are like, Hey daddy, it's time to go to bed and for you to lay down and, and snuggle us, tell us stories and sing us songs. And, uh, and then I have to choose if I'm going to do that or not. And so, and sometimes they let me choose. Sometimes I don't get a choice, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of how things are. And uh, yeah, and, and we need to, you know, I need to, you just look for those moments. And I think that's the best advice I could give right now is, listen to your kids and when they are coming to you let put away whatever you're doing you know put it away it, it'll be there tomorrow it'll be there later just be there in the moment with them when they're asking for it that's the most important thing i could tell someone yeah i mean i love it i've got i've got two chairs in my office and i love it when the boys come in and just sit down and they they don't kind of like go oh, the only rule i've got is if the door's shut they don't come in because it's probably a conference call or a coaching session or something, but they'll come in and they'll just sit down and they'll just chat. And I just love it. I literally, I could get, I've got to manage it because I could literally get lost in the hours Yes, just down and shooting the breeze and chewing the cut as we call it. Um, but it's just, it, it is one of those magical moments. And I, I didn't really catch much when they were younger because of just life circumstances. So, um, it's one of those things that you do just learn to cherish. And I'm noticing that a lot of friends of mine who have had, they've had their children, but then all of a sudden they, they, they have another one. They're learning from those, as you say, the, the eldest one sometimes sometimes I'm the eldest. I definitely cut the short break. Um, <laughs> yes. but it's, it's one of those things that it's just that it's a natural process in development, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, we can study and learn and get better at it faster, but we just normally don't, we just learn as we go and, and you, you just do the best you can. The reality is if you just put other people first and you develop that kind of a mindset and, uh, and I, I used to be real selfish with my time and, and not too long ago either. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of changed in me over the last three to five years is that I'm not as selfish with who I am and what I want to do. Um, and I am learning to put people first, you know, and especially the people that matter. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Question number six, what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? Yeah. So uh, I would say this, uh, I'm not a sales guy, but if you're an entrepreneur, you got to learn how to sell, you know, and, and you got to be wired. Like if you want to win, you got to wake up with the mindset of you got to sell something because if you don't sell something, if you don't sell it, nobody else is going to sell it. No one's going to sell it. And uh, that's your life's blood, cash flow into your business. Uh, fortunately, with what I'm doing, I have a, a stockpile of cash that I'm drawing off of. So I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not as pressed on a daily basis to get 
the sales. But that also makes me probably a little less hungry than I should be. Um, and, and I would like to be, I wish I was a little bit different in that. Um, and I'm trying to develop that side of me or at least bring people. So I, the first person I need to hire is a salesperson. So that's the first thing I've got to do. Um, but that, that would probably be my best advice for an entrepreneur. Uh, the second piece would probably be uh, make sure you got a good product. Whatever you're selling, you better be proud of it. And people better like it because it's really hard to sell something people don't like and, and it isn't good. And so I'm, I'm pretty, pretty very, I'm very happy with where my book's at right now. And I've been fortunate to work for companies that had good products and it's a lot easier to sell a good product than it is to sell a bad product. Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. Next question is what is your definition of success? Wow. That's a good question. Definition of success. Do I have a definition of success? Um, here it is. Um, here, I could probably throw a lot of different things in here. Um, I'm, this is the first thing that comes to mind. I'm going to say living life the way I want to live it. And so, yeah, yeah. And so, and that can mean a whole lot of different things, but it means I get to spend the time with my family that I want. I get to help the people that I see that are in need and when they need it and I can, I'm available to them to help them. So I can live that. That's the kind of life I want to live is a, a life that I can freely give of myself to other people and then enjoy life and have a smile on my face. Cool. Excellent. Okay. Um, question number eight, do you have any daily routines or rituals that make a huge impact to your day? Yeah. And I, I would say that I, I do some of these well at, at times and not as well as others, but I'm probably at my peak performance when I have a, a rigid structure of reviewing my day. So when I, before I go to bed at night, I review my day and go, okay, what did I get done? And I look at my list and I go, okay, let me check off everything that's, that was on my list that I needed to get done did I get it done or not? And I reprioritize it. And then, so I review it at, in the evening and then I sleep on it. And then I get up in the morning and I review it again. Okay. Now has anything shifted? Do I feel anything differently? Has anything happened this morning that I need to prioritize in a different way? Cause I have my, I think I always think I have my best ideas and best thinking in the morning. So it can shift uh, the importance of the list. And so by doing those two things, I get to reflect and I get to look forward. And by doing those things, I think I, I best um, prioritize and maximize my time and my performance by doing that. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay. Okay. The final one is a life lesson question. Pick a number between one and 20. Whatever we land on is our final discussion point. 18. 18 is, I'm going to spin the wheel. <laughs> I, so one of the things that I've um, kind of like looked at through my life is, we always pick up bad habits. We always pick up bad, you know, those habits that are no longer useful to us. And it's, there's a benefit in being aware and reviewing what habits and what routines you have and look at them in a regular basis and make changes that are going to make the most impact to you. So quite often you get some people that are just keep on, you know, that saying, keep on doing what they're always doing and expecting a different result you've got to keep an eye on what your, you know, if you need new skills, if you need new habits, if you have got processes, you need to kind of like review them on a regular basis in order to implement the ones that come out for to more benefit for you. And I'm just wondering what you think on that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The definition of insanity, and that's what you were saying is definition of sanity is keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. 
and, and, and you've got to shake things. Uh, you got to shake things up to, to create change. And uh, the, the, the best example, I've got two examples that come to mind for me that were bad times in my life. Um, and I, it took some shaking up to get loose of it. Uh, I had, I'd had a, a great successful run in my career for like 10 years. I had invested in myself heavily, um, made a lot of money. My responsibilities had grown. My authority had grown. And then I just, for whatever reason, I think just life got crazy and I just quit growing. I just, you know, just quit reading, quit studying, quit. And, you know, one year went by, two years went by, three years went by. And I looked up and I'm like, my gosh, I haven't grown in two or three years, like at the pace that I was doing before. What's changed or what's shifted? And so I had to get, you know, get myself back on track because I'm like, I'm not done. I'm not, I've not reached the pinnacle of success. So let me, let me get, let me reboot here. You know, let me get out of this, this uh, stagnation of where I'm at. That would be one uh, that I had to, you know, shift in the, and, and, and I would say my authority had probably waned and my influence had waned over those three years because the company had continued to grow, but I did not really keep up with the growth at that season. So I was able to reboot and, and get a little bit better. The other one I would say was in my marriage. Uh, I've been married 20 years. My wife is amazing. Um, but, you know, I hate to say it, but for 18 of those years, she endured a lot. And, and, and I was the one that was the cause of it. And so it was probably around, let's see, around year 17 that I just had to make a decision. Like, and I looked at her and my, and my wife and the poor lady, <laughs> what she put up with for me. And I said, honey, I think we need to go to a marriage counselor. And she goes, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go to a marriage counselor. It was change for her. It was change. And I said, honey, we've been married. I think at the time it was 18 years. I said, we've been married 18 years. Do you want the next 18 years to look like the last 18 years? And she goes, no, not really. And I said, we need to go see a marriage counselor. And so we went to the marriage counselor <laughs> first time. And, it, you know, the first session is just kind of like, uh, hey, who are you? And let's talk, have a conversation. And then at the end of that session, this marriage counselor he asked us, he goes, okay, so when would you like guys like to come back? He just assumed the second, you know, the second session. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, next month, my wife looks at him and goes, what do you have open next week? That started weekly marriage counseling for six months. And, and that's what I would say was commitment because we were just not in a healthy place. And, it, and, and that six months of marriage counseling cost me a lot of money. But, but it really fixed a lot of problems and it made our lives a lot better. And, uh, and we, we use that as a foundation. And, you know, today I would tell you, I think, I hope my wife would say our marriage is the best it's ever been. And she's extremely happy. Um, I wish I could bring her here and let her quote that, but, but uh, I can definitely say that about myself. Like I've never been happier in my life. I've never been happier in my marriage. And I mean, I just, I'm so excited about what the future holds, but it was a long, hard fight to get here. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay. So we are at the end of the show. This is an opportunity for you to share with the listeners how they can get hold of you and anything else that you would like to share. Yeah, sure. So uh, I have my book. It's The Millionaire Choice at themillionairechoice.com. You can pick up it on Amazon, look at any of that kind of stuff. I also have tonybradshaw.com, which was my personal blog. I just some, uh, share some different thoughts not related to money. Uh, they're just life thoughts as well. 
And so you, any, any one of those two locations works pretty well. And as a, you know, being a success guy yourself and trying to help your people succeed and the, your listeners, um, man, just look for a, a new, everything each day you wake up, just look for a new way to try to improve yourself. If you can improve yourself by 1% a day for a year, you know, you're going to be 365% better by the end of the year. And if you keep doing that for a long time, you're going to, you're going to find a lot of success. Yeah. Tony, thank you very much for joining me on the show and I'm wishing you the greatest success. Thank you. First of all, let me just say a huge and massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know you're listening. I really appreciate the support. If you would like to know more about me, the services I offer, how to connect with me on social media, then please visit www.successiq.co.uk. Remember, if you're interested in learning some great strategies that I teach or want to be part of the amazingly supportive community where you can find lives, Q&A sessions and other great educational empowering resources, then take action and search for Success IQ Alliance on Facebook and join this brilliant group. It would be lovely to see you there. You can tune in and listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud and TuneIn and of course iTunes. And if you have enjoyed the show and have the time, please leave a rating and review because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm aspiring to do. I wish you the greatest success and remember, don't settle for mediocrity. Go out there and create and live the exceptional. Have a lovely week and remember, just one conversation can create a lifetime of results. See you next week.